Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to everyone who's here and joining us online. This is what pastors call Christmas Sunday. This is the Sunday that's closest to Christmas or before Christmas, and um, we call this, this is a real special Sunday for us, and I'm so glad that all of you all have decided to join us this morning. We are, uh, we're in our series, continuing in our series, on the moment that God changes everything, and it is very amazing. Um, those of you all that are visiting for the first time, those of you that are joining us online for the first time, we do our sermon series a year in advance. So I, I knew a year ago I was preaching on this today, um, and it's amazing how the timing has been this entire year. Um, but today we're continuing our series with part six, when the moment that God changes everything, it's when God removes your fear. That's what we're talking about today, when God removes your fear. And the main thing today, everybody remember the main thing, because everything we do to, uh, talks about that. The main thing is this, you will either live by faith, or you will live by fear. Remember that, you will either live by faith, or by fear. And I'm going to ask all of you guys to turn to John 18, verse 1 through 27. Um, if you all will all turn there in your Bibles or pull out your, your uh, smartphones, your device, and, and use Version Bible app, you can find our outline there. If you have a bulletin, there's an outline there with you. Um, but uh, John 18, 1 through 27 is where we're going to be uh, the whole day. So uh, I, I, I guess we were told in seminary never to begin a sermon with a question. So here's my question. What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? Most dangerous thing you've ever done? Um, throughout the course of my life, there are a lot of things. Uh, just a show of hands. Maybe the ladies too, but especially the guys. How many of you all guys, thinking about these dangerous things, that there's really no good reason you're alive? How many of you all, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. As many ladies as the men. Okay, that's the kind of people that come here to church. All right, it's great. Um, the the da most dangerous thing you've ever done, most of us, for all of you grandmas out there and joining us online, um, I think most of us are only alive because you all prayed for us. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. Okay, so the most dangerous thing you've ever done. Um, for me, probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done uh, and a, a slew of things was uh, when I went over to India um, back in 2012 in India and Nepal, I, I remember getting on the plane. I'd met, I met people, uh, this group of church planners uh, on Facebook. That's it, Facebook. And didn't know who they were or anything. They said they were church planners. They said they were pastors. Had no idea, okay? All I knew is that this is what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I got on a plane and I, I flew, to, uh, flew to India first. That's where my connection was. And I realized, the, the, the people were waiting for me in Nepal, but there in India, in the airport, I realized something, that if I disappeared, no one would find me, like no one. And I can remember really probably the first time in my life being afraid. That was really scary, realizing that I am in a country that I, I don't speak the language, I don't know the customs, I don't know any, and it turned out to be completely baseless. I mean, it was fine. But that was the first time that I had really been scared, probably in my entire life. Um, so the, I focused the question back, what's the most dangerous thing you've ever done to live out your faith? 
Uh, one, of, one of the most heartbreaking stories, I've shared this before, but when I was um, uh, helping do uh, Summer in the Sun for a big youth ministry thing, I asked the students that question. What's the most dangerous thing God has ever called you to do in order to live out your faith? You know what they said? These were high school students. The number one answer was prayed in front of my youth group. That was the most dangerous thing they ever done. Most, most out of the box, most out on the, on, on, on the branch, most dangerous Fulfilling the calling of Jesus Christ on light was pray in front of their youth group. How hard is it to have faith, you guys? How hard is it not to have fear? The answer is extremely hard. Fear, anxiety, and worry running rampant through our society right now. It is nothing new. People say, well, everybody's fearful and anxious. Everybody's always been fearful and anxious. Okay? And those three, those three things will make you do things or act in ways that will mortify you. If you are, if you are consumed with fear and worry and anxiety, um, you, that you will do things that will mortify you. Think of the terrible things that are done when people panic. I remember um, being, uh, learning water safety and a, a, a drowning person is panicking. You are not to approach them. You cannot approach them. Do you know why? They will grab onto you and kill you with them. They will take you down. They would, if, if you asked a normal person, would you ever drown someone? They're like, oh, no, I never would. When they're panicking, they will. You are not to approach a panicking drowner. You're supposed to let them run out of energy, sink beneath the water where they can't fight anymore, and then go save them. That's what our training told us. Panicking people. People, when they're panicking, will do terrible things. They'll trample people. I'm a soccer fan. I know I've, I've seen, back in England they used to trample people when they were, and, and they, they'll kill people. They'll throw people under the bus. People that, that are consumed with fear and worry and anxiety will deny their faith. They'll deny their friends. They'll drop you in a heartbeat. They'll deny their family members. People living in fear will attack people that aren't harming them. They'll attack the people trying to save them. Once self-preservation kicks in, i found that all bets are off. There's nothing a person won't say or do when self-preservation kicks in. It's amazing the things we do when fear and anxiety and worry consume us. That, that those are the exact opposite of the things we're supposed to be doing. Do you know that? That when, when you are ruled by fear, you will do the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. It, it, you actually do the exact wrong thing. Things. Experts who analyze dangerous situations, dangerous conditions, all agree that the fear response makes you do the exact opposite of what you should do. For example, in 1929, the stock market crashed. Is anybody alive during that time? Okay, well, we don't have anybody alive during that time. But everyone panicked, and what did the average person do? Did they think calmly? Did they think rest? No, they ran down to the bank and drew out all their money. These were called runs on the bank. And the runs on the bank, according to some historians and economists, economists, said that that made the Great Depression a thousand times worse. Had they simply remained calm, it may have been short-lived. It made the problem a thousand times worse. The crisis would have passed a lot more quickly. People's actions had been rational instead of by fear and worry and anxiety. This past March, we all heard that there was a, this, this one that doesn't, doesn't make sense to me, I'm still gonna be figuring this one out. This past March, we heard there was a dangerous virus that attacked the lungs, so everybody rushed out and bought toilet paper. I, I, I don't know what happened there. I, I'm tr really trying to figure out what toilet paper had to do with COVID. 
I have no idea. Somebody somewhere started this and then everybody kind of went. But, but um, you know, th- this still a mystery to me. Two reasons. Like I said, one, the respiratory system and the digestive system are separate. But second, I've been to India and Nepal, and believe me, toilet paper is not essential. It is optional. Anybody who's ever been over there, I don't, I don't get it. But uh, toilet paper is optional once you've been over there. But it's, it's like in hunting. How many hunters we got out there? Hunters? Got any marksmen out there? How many of you all have ever shot a free throw under pressure um, or done anything when, when emotions are high? Okay, um, you're, you're, if you're a hunter, um, you're sitting there and a deer steps out. And let me tell you what happens. All of a sudden, everything in your body begins working against you making that shot. Your, your, your adrenaline kicks in. Your, your breathe rate increases. Your heart rate increases. Your hands start to shake. Well, here's the thing. Anybody who knows anything about marksmanship knows that you have to control your breathing in order to make the shot. You need steady hands, not a shaky hand. Everything in your body is working against you, accomplishing your goal. And that's the thing. When we, uh, we have to realize that our emotions are working against us, making us do the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Remember that. Remember that your body, your visceral response, your emotions are leading you the wrong way. That's what we have to know about fear and anxiety. You can always tell the person that is being led by their emotions and fear because they're always doing the wrong thing. Always. Instead, we are not to live by fear. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith. Many times, stepping out in faith is what gives us the greatest chance for fear. Number one, stepping out in faith gives us the greatest chance for fear. It does. John 18, verse 15 through 17. This is the story of Jesus. He was arrested and he was taken away. All the disciples ran and hid, except one. Peter. Peter followed the crowd. He followed, the, he followed the, 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 uh, the, the, the temple guards that arrested him. He went with them. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Beside this, because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're one of the, this man's disciples too, aren't you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. Wow. Some friend, huh? Peter's following Jesus. All of a sudden, he was recognized. Someone says, hey, you're one of those two. You're one of his disciples. And self-preservation, like we just talked about, kicked in. And Peter panicked. And you can just see his face flush and his heart rate increases and and his breathing rate increases. And he he says, oh no, I've been found out. And immediately, without thinking, he denies that he even knows Jesus. Like that. Threw Jesus under the bus, denied him, denied he knew him. Now, Peter gets a lot of criticism for this because he denied Jesus three times. However, do we ever stop to ask why? Peter wasn't hiding behind closed doors like the other disciples. He actually followed there. His desire to be close proximity with Jesus is what put him in the situation that led to his fear because your desire for close proximity with Jesus is going to lead you to that right now. The closer you want to be to Jesus, the more opportunity you're going to have to be in a fearful situation. That, that's quite, quite honestly, 
That's why so many Christians never experience intimacy with Christ. They don't. It's a whole lot safer being distant from him. Uh, there's this awful saying going around I've heard for years. The safest place for you to be is where? The center of God's will. You all heard that? I've heard that. I've heard that many times. Facebook fact checkers have determined that to be false. Okay? False information. I guarantee the Apostle Paul did not make that statement. I guarantee that none of Jesus' 12 disciples made that statement. I guarantee Jesus didn't make that statement. You've ever, if you've ever uh, studied the, the life of Jesus, the center of God's will is possibly the most dangerous place you could ever be. Not only where G only Jesus goes, but not living as Jesus wants you to live. It may be safe, but it's not what God wants you to do. See, Peter's desire to be close to Christ put him in situations very dangerous, he said, and he panicked. When we're faced with danger, when we're faced with danger, you all, we will either respond, we'll respond with one of two things. We'll either respond with fear or we'll respond with faith. The two concepts are mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. You cannot have fear and faith. As one increases, the other decreases. If you choose fear, your faith will decrease. If you choose faith, your fear will decrease. You cannot have both. It cannot, fear and faith cannot exist within the person. It's either one or the other. So we're either living by faith or we're living by fear. People. The Bible doesn't tell us to fear people. In fact, Jesus tells, said it himself in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. He says this. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Wow. Those are the words of Jesus himself. The, 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 number two, if we fear God, we don't fear people. If we fear people, we don't fear God. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. This scripture says that God desires two things from us, fearing him, which is faith, and knowledge, which is wisdom. And Christians must live in the tension between the two. Faith and wisdom. Understand this, because I'm going to explain all the tension and all everything that's going on right now and why we're doing what we're doing now. But there are two, there's a continuum here between faith on one hand and wisdom. God desires both for us. That's what Proverbs 1, 7 says. Okay? He desires both faith and wisdom. And there's a tension. We must live in tension between the two. Either extreme is wrong. Either extreme is wrong. And all of us in here and online are out of balance. We're all out of balance people. No one gets this right, okay? No one. See, the people that tend towards the faith part over here. Actually, let me start over here. Let me start over here. People that tend toward the wisdom side. This is kind of their orientation towards things, all right? They see People that are, for, that, are, that are a little more towards the faith, they see people as reckless and, and, and cavalier and stupid because they're doing things that they wouldn't do. Okay? Now, people on this extreme, on the faith extreme, see people that are at different points on the continuum that, towards the wisdom thing as stodgy and, 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 and lacking faith and, and all those things because they, they are like, well, let's just go and God will take care of it. These people are, no, we have to do what makes sense. Okay? There's a tension between the two. And every one of you in here is in between the, the two extremes somewhere along this continuum. 
out of balance, all of us. And what I've seen is that, that accusations fly among people on different parts of the continuum. We got out of balance people criticizing other out of balance people for being out of balance. Okay? Remember that everyone is somewhere along here. You're either tending towards wisdom or you're tending towards faith. God wants us to have both. And this is what we have to deal with. Remember, what always happens when you let emotions lead your life, you do the wrong thing. Okay? Let's realize there are other out-of-bounds people like you're out of balance looking at it differently than you. And we have to live in the tension between the two. See, the way that people make decisions is they, they look at where their orient, orientation is towards the faith or towards the wisdom. They look at where they are in between here and they do a cost-benefit analysis. What is the cost? What is the benefit? For example, if you are all the way over here on the wisdom, if you are to this extreme, you'll never walk down a flight of stairs because people die walking downstairs. Hundreds of people die walking downstairs every year. You know that, right? If you are all the way over here on the wisdom thing, you'll never drive a car because thousands of people, tens of thousands of people die in car accidents. And because you're all the way over here, you say, well, that's not for me. Well, well, people all the way over here will never save money because God's just going to provide. Well, Scripture tells us that's wrong. People over here will never make plans. People over here will just do whatever, whatever emotion comes into, their, comes into their, their heart, and they expect God to bail them out every bad decision. That I've, I've seen people like this. Both are wrong. The cost-benefit analysis is how we make decisions. Okay, so how does the fear of God lead to wisdom? How, how, do, how does the fear of God, how do we navigate this, this, this fear that we see? And how do we navigate, how would we make decisions that are not out of fear? Well, the fear of God leads to wisdom. Jesus tells us why we're to fear God. We're not, we're not to fear people, we're not to fear anything, we're to fear God. This is because, because he has the authority to throw us into hell. That's what Jesus says. And you're like, oh, Dave, uh, Dave's going fire and brimstone on us. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because people who will be held accountable live very, very, very differently than people who don't think they're going to be held accountable. Right now, possibly most infuriating news stories we see right now, and I'm talking infuriating, are of poly hypocritical politicians that mandate masks and shut down businesses, and then they go and go to the places where they tell other people not to go not wearing masks. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, these people are positions of power, and they know it. People in these positions of power act the way they do for one reason. They do not think they'll be held accountable. They act like they're above the law. We all know this. Nancy Pelosi went to the hairdresser after forcing everyone to shut down. Did she lose her seat in Congress? No. When the Denver mayor told everyone to stay home for Thanksgiving and then went to Mississippi to celebrate Thanksgiving with his family, did he get voted out? No. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom and 15 people went from the California Department of Health went out to eat in violation of their own mandates, did they have to resign? No, nothing ever happens to these people, and they know it. Why they act this way? Because they think they won't be held accountable. And therefore, they do many foolish things, destroy them personally, professionally, relationally, 
and eternally, and that's the thing. When we start acting like the politicians, when we start acting like we, like we don't fear God, we don't fear hell, we don't fear accountability, we don't think we'll be held accountable, we act in all kinds of ways that destroy us. Just like them. We're no better than they are. Said On the other hand, people who believe that our every action, every thought, every word will be scrutinized act very differently. I, if these politicians wore cameras and had microphones on them the whole time, Believe me, they would be acting very differently. Okay? And why? Because people who are held accountable know they'll be held accountable, act very differently. All right? People who don't fear God act like politicians with their mandates. They act like nothing's going to happen to them. They don't fear God, and therefore they ignore his mandates and ignore his commands. The problem is the Bible tells us there is accountability for who and what we fear. People, we should fear God. Hell is no place that you want to be. Believe me. God has the power and the authority, Jesus says, to throw you in there. Those aren't my words, those are Jesus' words. And that's who we should fear, you all. And when you fear that, when you fear God, guess what happens? You don't fear anything else. That's how it works. When you fear God, he removes all the other fears. When you don't fear God, you fear everything. All right? We begin to live wisely when we fear God. All of a sudden, we begin to change how we live we will be held accountable. We stop stealing at work, you guys, because you know you're going to be held accountable. You stop stealing. You stop using our bowling words in the house. Stop, you know, we stop blowing off worship for other things. Why? Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When temptation strikes, when you're tempted to do something that no one else will ever find out about, you don't because you live as one who will be held accountable for it. But what is the result of this fear of God? That leads to wisdom. Proverbs 10, 9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. When you fear God, you will walk securely through life. You have no fear. You have, you have no fear of someone coming up and, and exposing something from your past. When, when, when you have no, you know, no uh, fear of being found out. You have no fear of anything because you walk securely. We're not to fear the things of this world, not to fear people or circumstances, or death, or the future, or anything. We're not to fear any of those things. Those are, those are completely wrong for a believer in Christ. We're to fear the Lord, and we're to fear only the Lord. Far too many of us don't fear the Lord. Instead, our lives are consumed with three destroyers of faith. I said before, faith, uh, fear, worry, and anxiety. Three destroyers of faith, fear, worry, and anxiety. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future, Fear of failure, fear of injury, forever, fear of whatever is killing your faith right now. Fear of whatever is, is killing your faith. Worry about finances, worry about relationships, worry about the future is killing your faith right now. Uh, anxiety about what might happen. Yes, that is killing your faith right now. It is. God knows this and because he loves you. He addresses these three things in his word. 365 times in the Bible, people of Caddis Christian Church, 365 times, one for every single day of the year, the, the, it says, do not fear. Jesus addresses worry in Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Whoa, hey, whoa, hey. What did he just say? He just said, don't worry about your life. Man, this seems like that's all people are doing right now. He says, don't worry about your life. About what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. It says, do not worry. Say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. 
And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Paul addresses anxiety in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every, everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He replaces our anxiety with peace. Um, we must trust in the power of God to overcome all these things that destroy our faith, you guys. Through the power of God, we, get the, we have the ability to get rid of fear and worry and anxiety and replace it with faith. Faith in God. Faith in his goodness and his love and his mercy. I'm, I'm going to be gut level honest with you guys. I'm a pastor. If you, most of you guys know. If you didn't know, I am one. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Um, pastors have a calling on our lives. To serve God full time. We do. I hate to break it to you. We don't get any perks. You're like, yeah, whatever. I know you have a red phone in your you know, office that goes straight to God. No, it doesn't. It goes to my wife who, when I need to know what to say in a sermon, she writes my sermons. That's what the red phone's for. But that's, that's, I, he doesn't answer my prayers any differently than yours. He doesn't spare me from having to pay bills. He doesn't spare me the anxiety of raising children in this world. Um... I hear the same silence after my prayers that you all do. Yeah. I have the same doubts about God as you do. I have the same questioning what God's doing when things don't make sense. There's no other realm that pastors live in. You're like, you know, no, that's not true yet. Yeah, it is. I think the most frustrating thing that I deal with about worry and fear and anxiety is that they're real. And sometimes when we take them to God, we get nothing but silence. Ever experienced that? I have. Several times this year, I've been on my wits end and reached out to God and gotten nothing. I'm actually used to that. I mean, it happens fairly, fairly regularly. God doesn't work on our time frame. He answers in his time and not ours because he wants us to have faith. Immediate gratification doesn't develop faith, you guys. This morning, the Holy Spirit answered. This week, I don't know if you guys... I've sensed it like I have, but this particular week, it seems like there's a spiritual oppression over, I don't know if it's over our church, over our community, but I felt it this week. I mean, it's been, it's been bad, but this week, it seems like it was worse. And I took that to God, and I'm like, what, what, what is going on? Is there some type of attack going on? Is there some type of, you know, and, and um, I got no answer. But this morning, the Holy Spirit answered. He said, stop worrying and start worshiping. You guys, we need to replace worry and fear and anxiety with worship. That doesn't necessarily mean singing, although singing is a big part of worship. Worship is giving praise to God, acknowledging everything that God is through everything that we are. See, when we replace our worry and our fear and anxiety with worship, then all of a sudden, things change. Uh, your greatest weapon against fear and anxiety and, and worry is worship. That is a weapon. It is like, a, a, it's, it's like an M16 in the hands of a, sold, a Vietnamese, uh, Vietnam soldier. 
It, it, it's like you, it's the greatest thing. It's you focus on him, his greatness, his goodness, his power, his love, and his grace. Stop worrying and start worshiping. Why don't we do that, church? Why don't we just throw the worry out because worry does nothing. Jesus tells us not to do it. It does nothing. It's like sitting in a rocking chair. You look very, very busy, but you go nowhere. All right, let's just throw worry out and let's start being people of worship. Fear only God. That's what the Holy Spirit has to say about fear and anxiety and worry this morning. That's what the Holy Spirit says to America today. That's what the Holy Spirit has to say to Catalyst Christian Church today. Stop worrying, start worshiping. Unfortunately, the opposite is true, though. If you stop worshiping, you're going to start worrying. I can always tell how much worship a person has by the amount of worry they have in their life. I can always tell. If you are not worshiping, you're consumed with worry. If you're not, if, if you're worshiping, uh, if, you, if you're not worrying, you're consumed with worship. It's the way it is. See, any of you, any of you see a correlation in the decrease in church attendance this year? Where, people, where churches have not been open or, have, you know, anybody see a correlation between the drop in that and the increase in anxiety? I have. And if you think I'm wrong, simply point to the stats. My goodness. Challenge anyone who's ever been to a worship night here at Catalyst. You walk out of there fearful and anxious and full of worry. Or did you walk out of here encouraged? Worship is a weapon against fear. I say it's time, Christians, we start using it. Stop worrying, start worshiping. Fear cannot coexist with faith, you guys. You'll either have one or the other. And when you put away your fear of people, of circumstances, of the things this world throws at you, what might happen, and instead fill your life with worship, you are capable of truly amazing things. Uh, Several years ago, I heard the story of Katie Davis. She, she is a missionary in Uganda. She was like a prom queen in Brentwood, like wealthy beyond imagine. It's like ultra popular, ultra everything. She threw it all away, went to Uganda to go serve people, all right? Serve homeless children and everything. It's, she's like a modern-day Mother Teresa. And, um, and she said that by age 23, she'd adopted 14 orphan children. She started a school, started ministries that fed orphan children. In addition to raising 14 children, this is, this is a, like a 23-year-old, all right? Um, she, her school educates 700 children. The ministry provides food and water and clothes for an additional 1,400 children every week. Maybe you've asked her why she does what she does. She, they say it's not safe where you are. It's not safe to do that. It's dangerous. You're an entitled little American white girl in the middle of rural Uganda. She said, uncertainty is everywhere. And I think her words, spoken several years ago, is good for us today. Uncertainty is everywhere. But I'm living in the midst of uncertainty and risk amid things that can and do bring physical destruction because I am running from things that can destroy my soul. Complacency, comfort, and ignorance. I am much more terrified of living a comfortable life in a self-serving society and failing to follow Jesus more than I have any, of any illness or tragedy. Wow. Amen. I am too. He's much more terrified of living a comfortable life in a serving, self-serving society and failing to follow Jesus than she is of any illness or tragedy. And because of that fear of God, she's accomplishing amazing things. Like I said, she's known as a modern-day Mother Teresa. How many of us can say what she said? 
How many of us can say that? That our biggest fear in this life is not doing what God wants us to do. How many of us, you can honestly say that is your biggest fear? It should be. If you're a Christian, it should be. Their biggest fear in this life are complacency, comfort, and lukewarmness before a holy God. That our biggest fears in life are in, of inaction, not what, not what might happen if we act. One of the things she said in her book that stayed with me is this. We're not called to be safe. We're simply promised that when we are in danger, God is right there with us. And there's no better place to be than there. And right now, this world needs Christians who embrace the fellowship of God and have no fear. The world desperately needs Christians like that. She also said this, the truth is that the 143 million orphan children and the 11 million who starve to death or die from preventable diseases and the 8.5 million who work as child slaves, prostitutes, or under other horrific conditions and the 2.3 million who live with HIV add up to 164.8 million needy children. And though at first glance it looks like a big number, 2.1 billion people on this earth proclaim to be Christians. That truth is only 8% of the Christians would care for one child. There would not be any statistics left. In order to do that, we must be where Jesus is. We must be like Peter, who doesn't hide behind closed doors, who goes where Jesus is. The other disciples were hiding behind locked doors. So the question is, people, Catholic Christian Church, people joining us online, which kind of disciple are we? Are we the one that's following Jesus where he is and facing the danger? Or are we the ones that are hiding behind locked doors, fearful, fearful for our lives? That's the question. Do we have the kind of faith that Jesus asked of the people around him? Do we have that kind of faith? Jesus says all kinds of crazy things. He told a rich man to, to sell everything he owned to give the money to the poor and come follow him. He had treasure in heaven. He told his disciples to leave their professions and follow him. He told Peter to put his boat out into the deep water where Peter had just been fishing all night and caught nothing. He'd said all kinds of crazy things. Crazy to those who are living in fear, not in faith. But what lens are you looking through Jesus at, through, at Jesus through today? Remember, we're either living by fear or we're living by faith. And have both. And the last thing that I'm going to say is that fear makes us act in ways we never dreamed. It said in John 18, 25 to 27, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with them in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. That moment, the rooster began to crow. Has your fear this year caused you to act in ways? That you never dreamed. One of the um, issues that I'm dealing with as a pastor is the problem of what's called friendly fire. If you follow me on Facebook, you saw a post about this earlier, but I'm going to address it today. There's a thing in wartime called friendly fire. You know what friendly fire is? It's when the same ar people in the same army mistake, the other, mistake them for the enemy and they shoot each other. Friendly fire isn't so friendly. It's a major problem in war. And it's a major problem in the church. Major problem in families. 
See, Rachel and I, my wife and I, learned something early on in our marriage, and it's the word, you're not my enemy. A lot of times when we're having conflict, it's a good reminder that my wife's not my enemy and I'm not hers. I want you to kind of look around in church today, and, and those of you that are joining online, I want you to look around people in your family and everything, and I want you to realize these people are not your enemy. So much friendly fire. People that used to go to church together now don't because they disagreed over a mask whether we should be together. And people prior to March 15th when all this started that used to eat together and coffee together and be each other's friends now aren't speaking because of fear. Fear has made us do things. We never dreamed. We've been perfectly ugly and terrible to people that have done us no harm, that have not sinned against us, and we've treated them like the enemy. It's happened all year long. Calling names, name-calling, allowing your, your heart to be embittered towards people that have never done you wrong happened this year you guys because of fear because fear and worry and anxiety are driving us to do the wrong thing and I'm going to call this church and those of you that are online and everyone I, I want you to look at the people around you and say you are not my enemy we have an enemy and he's winning His name is Satan and he is he is done the most brilliant job on the church and on us as people and as in families that he has actually hurt us and then got us to fight each other. And we fall for it. How many of us have walked away from friends, people that have never sinned against us, never done anything to us, but we're not speaking now because of disagreements over mask or social distancing friendly fire and it's all because we are living by fear instead of by faith and satan knows that the bible tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood it is not against the people of this world our struggle is against Satan. And right now, church, right now, families, right now, people, he's winning. He's not winning because he's more powerful than God. He's winning because we are falling for it. The scripture tells us to bear with one another and forgive if anyone has a grievance against someone. There are people that I need to forgive, and there are people that need to forgive me. And the same is true of you and your family and this church. There are people, think about it, who did you used to be friends with back in March that you're not friends with now? My goodness, people, how are we so stupid as to let Satan do that to us? What I want you guys to do right now is I want you to take out your phone. If you have a phone, most of you do. 
And I want you to pray. Lord, who do I need to forgive and who needs to forgive me? And I want you right now, this is the only time I'll ever tell you to text in church. I want you to send a text message to somebody. Maybe you just say, I'm sorry. Maybe say, I miss you. Maybe text them and say, I miss what we had before March 15th. Maybe you just text them and say, I'm not your enemy. Maybe you just text them, I love you. I want you to do that right now as the band comes up. Maybe you need to do that with more than one person. That's fine. This is church. This is the time we get things done. Okay? I don't care if you have to spend the next song, the next 10 minutes doing that. And if they respond back, I'm giving you permission to respond back. Okay? This is the one time I'll let you text in church. The teens are like, no way. But right now, you guys, Satan's strategy ends now. Stop the friendly fire. Stop living by fear. Let's start living by faith.